Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the session. I'm Will Gordon, COO of Latchel. We have a guest today, Jeffrey Wilkins of the Property Management Law Group. Today, we're navigating all the things legal in property management. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. So I'd love to get a quick intro in your own words. Uh, could you give me the quick elevator pitch on Property Management Law Group? Uh, what do you do and what do you offer? Sure. Um, we are a, um, a full service um, law firm uh, located in Florida. Um, and so we serve the entire state of Florida. Uh, anything that's property management related. Um, so anything from evictions to security deposit claims um, to premises liability claims, anything like that. Uh, we exclusively represent management companies and owners. Um, and so we serve, again, the entire state of Florida. Uh, one thing that's unusual about us is that we have a, um, a web platform that we provide all of our eviction, leasing, and notice services throughout the state. So our clients are able to log into a platform um, and they can upload you know, requests for evictions or leases uh, or notices 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and then we keep our clients updated via that platform in real time. Um, and so it eliminates um, one of the big frustrations that we found uh, was that you had the clients didn't know what the status of their, of their matters were, especially evictions. And so they're always spending a lot of time trying to track down the attorney or track down the paralegal to get information on what's the status of an eviction or release. Um, so we've kind of removed that um, with our platform uh, so they have that access 24 hours a day. That's really awesome, and I definitely can appreciate how convenient it yeah. is to have an online platform. Love to know, like, what got you started in the industry, and then what what turned you to you know be different from from other lawyers who usually don't have the the adopted modern technology as heavily as you have. Sure, um, I was before I went to law school. I was a property manager, um, and so I practiced um, up in uh, in Gainesville, Florida, in a, in a pretty heavy student market. And did a lot of multifamily work, um, a lot of diverse type properties. Uh, and so, you know, I had kind of an inside track on what the challenges are as a property manager. So I did that for several years after graduating from college. Um, and then when I went to law school uh, and became an attorney, uh, I kind of naturally fell into doing eviction work. Um, being the low man on the totem pole at my first firm, um, I was given all the evictions because that's what my background was in. So um, we have the new guy, the painful stuff, right? I was the new guy, so they pushed yeah. me down the hall to Jeff because I didn't have the ability to say no. So I was doing evictions and doing residential lease work, and uh, and so I just and it just kind of matriculated from there. I stuck with it. Uh, I enjoyed the work. I knew you know I knew that industry, um, and so over the years, though, you know it was very it was very apparent that 
there were there were problems in delivering those types of services because those services are they're small projects they're relatively inexpensive relative to you know other legal work that can be done um, and so there was a lot of frustration I would find with clients of having the information available to them what the status of things was um, how things worked um, it was kind of a mystery sometimes addictions can be a mystery to people that have never been through one um, how to get a lease done um, these sorts of things and so. But how many, kind of, which, uh, just that? curious, how, how many years were, were you practicing as part of another law firm, you know, collecting these pain right. points, seeing these trends before you're like, you know what, it's, it's time to, to strike out on my own and, and solve this because I can do a better job? Right. Um, I was with a firm, well, I was with a firm for about five years um, down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then when I moved up to Jacksonville, Florida, uh, I went out on my own. So I've been out on my own now for 12 13 years now. And, uh, and in that time frame, when I was at that prior firm, that's when I, these things started to kind of come to come to light that there's a real, it's a very underserved market. Um, as property managers, it's a very underserved market because again, what property managers need is legal services that are again, in a relative sense, inexpensive. So not a lot of lawyers offer it. Uh, and when they do offer it, they do it in somewhat of a kind of passive way in the sense that they'll do the work, but they're not really interested in it. And so it doesn't really get the attention that it deserves. Yeah. So, um, and, and so you would notice that when I would, would speak with clients or, or speak at events, you would see that frustration. So, um, and through my years at the, the, the firm that I was at, um, these are things I just started to think about and thought there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way to deliver services to a very underserved group um, because ultimately, you know, these are significant transactions. I mean, when you're leasing a property to somebody, I mean, either short of selling the property, you're giving somebody the largest interest they can have in a property. You're giving them a leasehold interest, which is very significant. Um, so those transactions should be taken very seriously, um, and there should be um, a lot of thought into them, and people should understand where they're at in the process. So these are the kind of things that motivated me to find a better way to deliver the services. Um, and, and I think from a, from a business standpoint, though, the other challenge was is that as an attorney, um, you know, we are running a business and we have to be able to, we have to make a profit at doing that. We have to be able to be successful at it, um, to be able to pay our, our employees and, and, and pay for things that any other business owner would pay for. So we have to look at it in, in a volume concept. We have to be efficient in delivering those services because if we're not efficient in delivering an eviction or efficient in delivering a lease, um, for the prices that we charge, we simply can't do the work. So Absolutely. Yeah, so that's where the platform came in. We, the yeah. platform keeps us very efficient in what we do so that we can deliver what we believe to be you know, very, very top-end services um, at a good value. Um, and then again, keep everybody up to speed on where they're at in the process. Well, that's, that's really awesome. It's something that um, I picked up at Amazon. It got said very frequently, and I carried it on to Latchel. To be customer-obsessed, one of the important things is to be profitable. Because you, you can't continue to deliver a service to customers and be obsessed over the customers if you don't have a, a fundamentally viable business. And I, I think it's great that you keyed in the way that you can actually be able to ser serve people at scales, make it a, a good value proposition for not only your customers, but also for yourself is to have an online platform to give them what they need. So what was that like getting that online platform started? I'm just, just uh, you know briefly would like like to understand do you have a technical background yourself or were you able to find some people to, to build what you needed um, I found people um, I don't have a technical background I am um, I'm not particularly I guess I'm somewhat computer savvy um, but I don't have any background in any type of coding or anything like that um, 
But I did find, and I, I found our, our, our developer, um, you know, we work really well together, and I've been able to, I guess, articulate to him what we need to do from a practical standpoint. And he does a very, very good job of understanding what we need, and then he can, he can do the code, and he can build it out for us. Um, and so we've worked together for about six years now um, with the same code, uh, coder. And, um, and in the process and to build it out, it really started out as kind of an internal uh, consistent case management system, you know, something that we would use internally in the firm to be able to manage, you know, you know, our clients and, and their matters. And as it and as the as the site developed over the last six years now, it's kind of grown and it's kind of grown and morphed into more of a, a client-centered platform um, that our clients use. And they can again, they log in, they have a dashboard, all of their matters are before them. You know, there'll be a, a lease or an eviction or a notice. Um, we give real-time status updates. Our case managers, you know, update in real time. So um, if you, know, you if you don't have a status, it's because we don't know yet from the court or from the sheriff or whoever we're, we're dealing with. So it's really developed from more of an internal case management system into a uh, into a real client-based product over the last six years. Yeah, oh yeah. We we think it's and we do think it's a little unusual in the market because a lot of people have. They'll have online you know, the ability to submit something online, whether it be a lease or an eviction, and then it's a black hole. After and that. that's a black hole. And, but ours is an actual. It's it's a, it's a platform that you can go on, and we interact with our clients exclusively through that. Yeah. Now everyone asks for more and more visibility, and anything you can do, you know, as as a business to give that that additional visibility and transparency, like it, it really wins. Uh, is a big win for the customers too. So. Love to know just for the audience members, uh, in, in your experience, uh, what do you think are the most common, misunderstood, or overlooked uh, issues in the legal space for property managers? Well, I think in general, I think the, the biggest thing that's overlooked is, again, that concept that when you're doing a lease, you're conveying a, a, a leasehold interest in a piece of property to somebody. That's a, it's a very significant event. I mean, short of selling property, that's the, that's, the greatest, uh, that's the greatest interest you can convey in a piece of real estate. So with that being said, that um, the work that's done with the lease work, especially, it needs to be done in a very diligent manner. It needs to you know, there needs to be a high attention to detail. Um, and so, for instance, when we do a lease, we always pull the property card. We pull the tax records. We want to make sure that who we're being told is the landlord is the actual owner of the property. And if it's not, then we inquire with our client why, why they don't match. Um, we always pull the address, make sure there's been no transposition of numbers. Because if you ever go down an eviction process um, and you're and you've transposed, let's say, an address or east versus west or something like that, that causes significant problems with the execution of a writ of possession and eviction proceeding. So we check all of our all the information that comes through from our client. We check that against the public records to make sure it all matches. And the reason we do that is again because. If you make a miss, if you if you make an error in that, it can cause problems down the line. And it's not, and in most times, even if there is an error, it's not it's not realized because leases. You know, people pay their rent. You collect the rent. You, you as a as a property owner or a manager, you you make the maintenance that you need to do, and everything works fine. It's always the case when when things don't go right is when those things get exposed. And so we always look at it from that perspective that we always look at it as what goes wrong. You know, don't tell us what if it goes right, but what if it goes wrong, then how you know how does this impact it? So we do our lease work, we're very diligent to check public record, make sure we check everything when we go through provisions, we double check the provisions to make sure there's nothing that's inconsistent when we do custom provision work on a lease, those sorts of things. And I think that's the one thing that gets overlooked in the industry is that I mean you can buy a lease 
from Staples or Office Depot, or you can pull a lease offline. You can Google residential lease and you can pull one. And it's and it's somewhat amazing to me that people actually do that, even professional property managers. And I think that's the the challenges is to convey to the industry how important what they're doing is that these are significant legal you know, real estate transactions and they should be treated as such. Um, and that's always, I think, one of the challenges in the industry is that for people to realize that across the board, whether it be a property management company or an owner or a tenant, um, to have them understand the significance of, of the transaction they're engaging in. Yeah. We, we did get a question about um, what other states beyond Florida. You, you, most of your work is focused on Florida, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, um, the, I know the advice that you're giving, a lot of it uh, applies generally. So just um, yes. please, please uh, anytime that it's Florida specific, please please let it know. But generally, it's it's pretty general nationwide advice, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that you look at um, in the industry, especially in the multifamily industry, there's there's, there's a couple of nationwide um, uh, companies that, that create leases. You know, and, and so, but generally that advice holds true. I mean, these are whether you're in Texas or Florida or the Carolinas or Washington State, you know, these are concepts that hold true overall. Um, but people should be very cognizant of what they're doing. Um, yeah. because if it goes bad, you're, you're the first, they'll always tell a client, if a client will contact me and say, well, we have this going on, what do we do? The first thing I always say is read the lease. We got to read the lease. What does the lease say? Because the lease is where you go to start. And then from there, you, you go out to state law. But the lease always controls that transaction. So, Jeff, you, you mentioned something while you're talking about the importance of the lease, about the importance of the address being accurate. Now, that's something we at Latchell see a, t a ton of issues with. We, we receive property records uh, from the, their existing property management database, and there will be things that are not valid addresses or are just uh, lot of, lots of numbers being transposed or east-west uh, demarcation not being accurate. So what really is, is the problem that, that arises if you start going into an eviction and your address on the lease is incorrect? Well, the way and what will happen is, is let's say it's uh, it's one two three Maple Street, and and it gets transposed to two three one Maple Street. The problem is, is that especially if you're using different, let's say that you know attorneys and attorneys will do this. They'll presume that it's correct, so they'll take the lease and they come for an eviction. They'll presume it's correct, and in Florida specifically, in most states, pretty much every state requires a notice to be posted for an eviction. And they typically it's a three it's a three day notice in Florida. Um, it's very similar, I know, in Texas and the Carolinas. Yeah, most places I've seen, it's been... Yeah, it's, so they're, they're either three, three and five-day notice. Well, specifically in Florida, just to, to comment on that, is that that is what they call a condition proceeding to an eviction in Florida. So if your three-day is bad in any aspect under Florida law, then you don't have the right to proceed with an eviction. And one of those common reasons it's bad is because the address isn't correct, that you have you transposed a number, and now you're posting to demand rent for an address that isn't accurate. So that's where it starts so that's kind of it's a compounding effect so if you post it you if you rely on the lease the lease is incorrect now you've compounded that error because now you've posted a bad three-day and then that compounds even more because if you post the three-day notice and no one catches it and then you proceed on that three-day notice now you file a complaint on an improper three-day and invariably the judge will catch it or the tenant will catch it or an attorney representing the tenant will catch it and now you get to the point where you either are going to have to, you're going to have to repost the notice, and now you're losing significant amount of time, which is revenue to the owner. And so, those are the um, those are that's the, the, the initial challenge that you have with that. So, if you have a incorrect address in a in a, in a lease, it's, you're inevitably going to have a compounding problem unless somebody stops to really 
focus on what is the proper address. And of course, these, of course, now it comes down to this is that you're going to lose significant amount of time, which means you're going to lose significant amounts of revenue from the, from rental income, plus the fact that you're paying an attorney to do it uh, and filing fees that can get very expensive very quickly. So Melanie, I'm glad you got the technical issues. Uh, I did. Thank <laughs> you. To, uh, to introduce you and welcome you to the, to the show. Um, so you're one of the, one of the partners in, in the group, correct? I am. I yeah. am. Do you mind giving a brief introduction in your own words and um, sure. you know, how we got it, got into the team? Absolutely. And, and I apologize if I repeat anything that Jeff's already mentioned, but I'm a little late to the party. Um, Jeff and I actually went to law school together uh, over in Stetson University in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, we received our JD around the same time. I also got my MBA. And uh, right before Jeff and I decided to go on this venture, I was running my own little place uh, in Orlando. I was dealing with like a little art gallery and my office in the back. And then Jeff comes at me with all this cool technology. Um, and I, you know, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I jumped on board and we've been uh, working on this for quite a few years now. Um, I think the eviction 24 seven is an absolutely amazing concept. The law is always so behind technology wise um, that it's exciting when when we're actually a little bit ahead of it. And I think at one point in time, we were waiting for the technology of the courts to, to kind of catch up with us. Uh, so that's basically how our paths crossed originally. Um, and then I joined on with the with the property management work. And it's pretty much exclusively what I've done now for seven years. Oh, awesome. It's a yeah, great, great wealth of experience. And um yeah, love to have you on the show. Thank you. So, when we were talking about the uh, the lease issues, particularly with the um, the addresses being incorrect, so suppose you are you know, it, you're in Florida, you've posted posted a um, uh, an eviction notice, and then you realize, oh, this this is incorrect. It's it's the wrong wrong address. Um, what are the steps? What how how painful is it to get yourself out from under under that? Like what what do you go through now that you've realized oh the entire lease that has been signed is wrong? Well, and just yeah to follow up um, where we're at the it used to be in Florida that the only remedy the court would give you is to dismiss your case. Um, that oh, was man. until twenty thirteen. There was a big revision for statute. So if you made an error like that where you either put in an incorrect amount. Um, monies that weren't considered rent, which is a term of art, um, or an address was incorrect, and you proceeded uh, and the court ca caught it, the only thing they could do is dismiss your case, which means you start from scratch. You have to repost, new filing fees, attorney's probably going to charge you again. Um, 2013, they revised that. Now they allow, essentially, they'll, they'll basically stay the action, allow you to repost the notice. So the penalty now is you're looking at, um, and they'll allow you to amend your complaint. So you would repost your, your non-payment of rent, notice uh, and then from there you would file a motion for leave to amend and the court will allow you to amend the complaint and then proceed um, so the practical problem is is that you're still looking at a delay of probably anywhere from 10 to 15 days because you're gonna have to repost all the time to run file the amendment and then you're at the mercy of the court how fast they grant the amendment um, and you also are probably going to have additional attorney's fees um, because of it and, and that really and it really does depend on who's responsible for the back three day now you know, if, if the if the if the owner has posted it and it's incorrect, then that's on them. But if, of course, the attorney's done it, then the attorney should should uh, should eat those expenses. But but so that's really the penalty, and it's really goes down to you know loss of revenue if you're going to lose about another another two weeks. 
So it sounds like your best way to, to simplify this is to catch that error early, you know, prevent the problem from happening in the first place and doing that upfront work. You guys do it by uh, checking the public records, ensuring that the lease is accurate. Are there any other things that a property manager should be looking out for to prevent problems before they start? What are the, what's the next most common issue you see? Mel? Did you already talk about in terms of uh, calculating amounts? In terms no, of no, okay, yeah, th that's another one. Talking about, you know, checking for mistakes in general. Another one is knowing your ledger and knowing how the the rent is is tracked and how it's kept and how to read your ledger and understand your, um, you know, whatever system that you use, uh, because it's also important when we're talking about three days and eviction, um, the actual eviction complaints is you need to be able to calculate exactly how much rent is due. And that's that's extremely important. Um, so that's another thing that, that we check for. We request a ledger. We request a copy of the ledger when you're uploading everything to the website. And we do a little bit of math. Uh, just to, to make sure that our numbers come up the same way. And if, if they don't, then, you know, we contact to make sure that, you know, we have a conversation about how do you come up with these numbers? Because again, if you have to get in front of the judge, the judge is going to ask you, how did you come up with these numbers? And you need to be able to answer that question. Yeah. Uh, but much better to answer your lawyer than to answer the judge. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm much friendlier. Yeah. Okay. So, Every property manager really hopes they never have to deal with an eviction process. You, you want to have the best residence. You know, the fact of the matter is it doesn't always work out that way. It's really hard to navigate, uh, to navigate this process. So just to start this whole thing simply, generally, what are the grounds for eviction? What are the things that allow you to get started with the process of, of, of evicting a, a resident? Well, I, the, the biggest thing is non-payment of rent. Um, that's, and that's the easiest method because payment of rent and, and there are some shades of gray with, with payment of rent, but by and large, that's a very black and white issue. Either rent was paid or it wasn't. And so that's the easiest way to proceed. And, and specifically in Florida, it's the easiest way to proceed is because in Florida, the statute is essentially a blueprint. And so if, if it's a non-payment of rent eviction, then very specific criteria must be met. And the biggest thing for the, for the tenant is that if they're going to defend the eviction, they must post the monies in the registry of the court. If they fail to post the monies in the registry of the court, Florida statute provides a mechanism where they are automatically defaulted and you get a final judgment of eviction. So that's the easiest way. But any other non-compliance with a lease is another method. So let's say that they're... Well, let's go back to, to the rent payment just for Florida. Um, is partial payment of rent, is that still considered non-payment of rent? Yes. Yeah. So if you have, so when you make a demand, when you're, you're leasing, again, it goes back to, which we referenced earlier, what did your lease say? So if the lease requires, you know, payment of rent on the first of the month and there's a partial payment that you can post a three day for that missing component. So if it's a $1,500 payment and they owe 2000, then you can post a three day for $500. If they fail to pay those monies, then you can proceed with an eviction based on that missing amount. Yeah, I, I know that one definitely uh, varies state by state. So you definitely should be talking with uh, your your local local lawyers. So, yeah, that, uh, and, and, and on that point as well, I mean, especially state to state, is what is rent varies dramatically by state as well. In Florida, in, unless it's defined as rent in your lease, then it's only monthly rent. So late fees, posting fees, those sorts of things are not considered rent unless you say they're rent in your lease. Um, other states like Texas they're a little bit more liberal on what they consider to be rent. 
Um, and that is proceedings a little bit different in Texas. They, they use essentially magistrate judges, but some of them aren't even attorneys. So it's a little bit looser in Texas. Um, but yeah, you have to be very careful in the jurisdiction you're in as to what should be included as a rent amount in your notice, because if you include non-rent items, then that makes your notice defective as well. And yeah, and then you have to potentially restart the process or at least have a massive delay and loss of revenue. Right? Correct. Yeah. So you're just about to get into breaking terms in the lease. Like what, what are things that are acceptable to have as rules in the lease? And then if somebody is breaking the lease uh, through another term that's not non-payment, how do you go about going uh, saying, yes, you actually did this. This is true. And I have evidence and now I can, can evict you. That's pretty tricky. <laughs> and that, and that's what makes a lot of these, um, a lot of things difficult. If you're not, if you're using something other than non-payment of rent, it makes it a little bit different, uh, difficult because a, it has to be a significant breach. It has to be a, you know, a significant breach for it to be a, um, an evictable offense, so to speak. Um, so for instance, and everything deals with notice. So if you believe that a, a um, provision is is being breached, then you have to give them notice. And you have to give them a notice. You have to give them an opportunity to cure. So you give them a seven-day notice to cure. Give them the opportunity to fix it. That dog that you're not supposed to have, that um, boyfriend that's living there that you're not supposed to have, the garbage that you have outside that's not supposed to be in the common area, that kind of thing. Um, there's a general you know, belief that those are things that can be fixed. So you, you do your seven day notice to cure, make sure that they, they kind of do their thing. Um, and then there's, there's bigger things. There's bigger things like crime. Um, you commit a crime, somebody on somebody that's visiting you gets arrested or you get arrested, um, anything like that, that's seen as a non-curable breach. Um, and that's a little bit easier to, you basically give them a notice to leave. You give them a notice to vacate. If something like that happens, um, they don't even get an opportunity because it's seen as non-curable. You can't fix that. You've been arrested. There's been drugs. There's been criminal activity, that kind of thing. Now, is now, it arrested that, or convic convicted? It, it, any kind of, it, any kind, there's, it depends on what your lease says, really. You got to okay. kind of look at your lease. Um, but for the most part, if there's any kind of problems that, that fall into the criminal arena, then then you're pretty you usually generally you're pretty good with um, that being a non-curable breach. Um, that also being said, you know, what about the stuff you can't prove? You know, the neighbors are complaining that they're smelling, you know, marijuana coming out of the neighbors or they've seen people coming and going at all times of night. Well, you know, your evidence is only as good as your you know, your witnesses or, or whether or not they're going to be willing to, to speak up or or get involved. So honestly, it is it's a little bit more difficult to, to prove breaches when you're just relying on, you know, things like neighbor complaints and stuff like that. OK, so if the if I have a property in Florida and one of the terms is about quiet hours and, you know, uh, I can't remember the, the exact legal term, but it's like you basically have a, a right to enjoy peaceful enjoyment of your home or some some similar term and right. if i have uh, neighbors who are complaining about noise you know at all hours and they're not willing to to be a witness or, or write a statement what would be your advice to, to that property owner well <laughs> i mean i guess um i mean we can get you can go all out and get a um a private investigator involved or i mean to, let me back it up Evictions are no different than in litigation in this way. If somebody is asserting something, you have to have proof. So if this isn't, you know, this isn't something that's special to to just evictions. It's litigation. So they're going to need to have some way to, to prove it. Um, 
if they're, you know, if they, they suspect that there's certain things that are happening or for instance, the noise example that you gave, um, maybe if you have somebody that's maintenance, that's on site, um, you know, have them go, or if they're called the police and make a record of it, you know, there's, there's other ways to do it, but you have to get creative. I mean, you have to think of this in terms of, of litigation because it's exactly what it is. Okay. So what, uh, what commonly goes wrong? Uh, in, in this process. We, we've gone over a couple of issues. You, you post a notice and there's something incorrect. The, the rent isn't calculated correctly. Like what else goes wrong uh, in, in this process that causes a lot of heartache and frustration for, for property owners and managers? Well, one thing, and, and to touch what Melanie talked about on any other bases to evict outside of, out of non-payment is that you have to prove it. So if you're going to plead it, the old saying goes, you're going to plead it, you got to prove it. And so the the one thing you want to do as far as what goes wrong is that let's say there is um let's say they have an illegal occupant so let's say that it's you, but like illegal subleasing property. or is it just you you only allow one person in this property and that there's there's two or or more right. more residents it, yeah, along the lines of you you lease the property to you know you know joe smith and then joe has his girlfriend move in and and she's not she's not made application she's not a tenant She's not a legal occupant because she hasn't you know, gone through the application process. So you have this person there. So you post a seven-day notice to cure. It would be the way you start in Florida, what you would post. But those have to be very specific. You have to be very specific in what, your, what the alleged breach is and what the remedy is that you're demanding as the landlord. And you know, a lot of times, as far as where things go wrong, is that there'll be this pattern of behavior and the owner of the landlord will fail to properly document. And that, I mean that on two fronts. One being is that don't simply ignore the behavior, um, because if you if you repeatedly document it, if you, if if you say here's a seven day for having this person here, it should be here, and then they move out for a little bit and they come back and you notice some of the neighbor tells you, consistently document it based on the process that's provided for by your by wherever you are, whatever jurisdiction you're in. Don't simply ignore it and don't be casual about it. Don't send a text, hey. Your girlfriend needs to move out. Don't send an email. Follow what's provided by statute in your jurisdiction. Because if you document it consistently, when you wind up in front of a judge, the judge is going to basically put a lot of weight on that. Because certainly, if it's a one-time occurrence, it's a lot of, you know, it's going to be a, a he said, she said kind of thing of who does the judge believe. But if you consistently documented the behavior, then even if you don't have that smoking gun witness, the judge is still going to put more stock in what you're alleging than what the tenant would be alleging based on the efforts you've taken to document the behavior. And so that, again, goes on two fronts. You have to have the proper amount of detail. So if you're seven-dating somebody in Florida, and every state has the equivalent of that, if you're, you're engaging in this other improper behavior, be very detailed of what the, what the behavior is. Be very detailed of what the remedy you want from them. In this case, you know, have the, the person needs to move out in seven days. And then, and then be consistent and be very consistent and this also gets into fair housing components. Be very consistent in documenting the behavior because then ultimately, if you have to evict on it, then you can show the judge this is what we've done repeatedly to document the behavior. And then the other thing is on a broader issue would be is that you want to always be compliant with fair housing. Um, if you treat tenants differently, you can get into a lot of trouble from a fair housing component of it. Everybody should be treated the same and you should have policies in place that show if, if there's a breach, this is the protocol we utilize within our company or, or as an owner. So, so are, is there anything in place uh, by statute? Say you put post that seven day notice, and you know seven days later the person moves out. They're gone for a week or a month, but then they come back. 
and then you document it again, you know, then, then they say, oh, seven day notice, okay, go somewhere else for like a week, a month, you know, then they come back again. Like how many repeat offenses of these, of these issues are, are acceptable or okay before it's just like, we, we need to evict this person. In Florida, it's it's it, the statute reads that if they engage in the same behavior within the twelve-month period, then you can basically post a notice of termination of the lease and proceed to evict them. So it's a two-strike-you're-out component, you know, kind of scenario in Florida. Um, but with that being said, a large part of what what behavior would be tolerated is the severity of the behavior. Um, if if you have a, a person that's living in the property you know, without authorization, that's pretty significant. The judge would probably give you an eviction on that as long as you can meet the burden that that's what's happening. If it's something more minor along the lines of leaving trash cans out, you know, with the, and there's an HOA that says you can't do that, uh, but it hasn't resulted in any fines to the owner yet, um, that's something that a judge probably is not going to evict somebody over um, because it doesn't, it doesn't rise to the level of severity that to displace somebody from their home. So it really is going to be a kind of a combination of. What does your local jurisdiction provide for? Like in Florida, it's a two strikes and you're out. Same behavior twice within two months, and you can evict. Um, but it, uh, but a large part of the judges is they take a lot. In Florida, I, we do know this, and we've done work in other states as well. And judges are, are you know they're people like us, and so they have their own disposition. And a lot of judges um, they don't really follow the law. To be honest with you, they, they will they will craft a remedy based on the facts as they see them. Um, and, and in that, and you get into that a lot with non-payment, with, with evictions for non-payment, you'll see that as well. They'll provide additional time to pay monies into the registry, or if it's some kind of offense like a, an occupant that shouldn't be there, or not taking the trash cans in, they'll craft remedies to try and get everybody to get along without the eviction you know, going through. So um, it, it, is, it is a very kind of particular, it's very fact-driven, and that's why going back to, you know, initially, you know, the, if you can evict for non-payment or rent, that's what you want to evict for, because that's a very objective measure. Either the rent was paid or it wasn't paid, and either they can prove they paid it or they can't. But when you get into other fact-driven bases, like if does, does your girlfriend live there when she shouldn't? Are you taking in the trash can or these sorts of things? Or is your dog barking incessantly? Those are very fact-driven, and it's you have to prove those things. And it can be very time-consuming and expensive to be able to prove them. What about property damage? Uh, if the, the property is being damaged by the tenant, yes, that gets it. Yeah, I mean that's that's another good base, you know, basis as well. Um, it, it also be is there a remedy provided by the tenant? Does the tenant offer to make you know to, to make the repair? Does the tenant offer to pay for the repair? Um, which gets into uh, something which we probably should talk about is how well you're documenting the condition of the property prior to moving, um, because I mean that's incumbent upon you to avoid a lot of these issues. It starts with you know from day one when you when you initially have that tenant come look at the property potential tenant look at the property you know what policies do you have in place to document that process you know are you taking proper are you doing proper inspections of the property to have conditional reports so that if the client if the tenant does damage the property that you can actually prove that they're responsible for that damage yeah you don't want to be he said she said oh you know that hole in the wall was always there it was like that when I moved in right. and it should continue throughout the the rental period. You should continue to have inspections during out the rental period. You sh you know instead of just having it the move in and the move out, it would behoove you to to have it multiple times, be once a year or, or every six months or so, or even quarterly sometimes, um, in order to make sure that there's not damage that's being heard. And it's also a good way to catch, you know, is there somebody living there that shouldn't be? Is there an animal there that shouldn't be? 
So that that's a, a very useful, proactive thing to do to prevent any kind of damage to the property. Yeah, oftentimes with some property managers, I've seen that taking opportunities to provide extra service or also opportunities to check the status of the property, whether it's changing, you know, smoke alarms, changing, checking batteries, changing filters, mm-hmm. or or just other other types of general service of like, oh, you had a garbage disposal uh, that isn't working. I'm just still going to check check the, check things out, see you know if there's anything else I can fix, while also taking an inventory of of potential damages. So if you start this eviction process, uh, what kind of defenses do you see uh, tenants give to try to stay in without paying rent or to extend how how long they have to pay rent? Well, legal ones <laughs> and then ones that are just emotion driven. Um, you're going to see uh, plenty of, um, you know, is out of work. Somebody was sick, um, you know, any number of things like that. It's the holidays. Um, yes, trying to get an eviction during the holidays sometimes is a little difficult. Um, nobody wants to push them through. doesn't matter. They've been there for three months. Nobody wants to push them through. But that's a whole nother story. Um and then, of course, there are things, you know, the, the legal defenses, at least, you know, in Florida, and I'm pretty sure anywhere, is um, I've paid the rent. Um, you know, that's that's the actually the best defense you can have. Um, a lot of times you have the opportunity to request in Florida, you have the opportunity to request a rent termination hearing, uh, which is basically um, I don't agree with the amount of rent that's being, you know, that's, that's listed as being uh, due and owing. Uh, the reason may be. You know, there was something that wasn't fixed. There's a leak in the roof, um, any number of repairs, uh, things like that, that um, they're claiming should reduce the amount of money that they should be paying in rent. Yeah, I've seen uh, that in many are, other states, too. Yeah, those are those are really, really, you know, common responses. OK, so other than fixing the issue, whatever the, the problem is, if, if they're breaking the terms of the lease or they're not paying rent, um, other than fixing the issue or claiming that you're wrong, you know, you're, you're lying as a property manager or whatever else it may be, and it's up to them to have, um, to, to have the evidence and the proof. Um, if the tenant still is refusing to move at the end, what rights do property managers and landlords have at, at, at the end of it? It's determined, hey, you, you need to get out of here. You're not, you're not leaving. What are they going to do then? Well, at, at the end of the eviction process, and, and this is, true in, in every state that we've had experience in, and especially in, in Florida, is that there's a, the, writ of, the writ of possession is issued. Um, and, and, this, and what that does is that's a, it's a notice that's posted by the sheriff or the constable, and it tells the occupants that they have 24 hours to vacate. If they don't vacate, then the sheriff will be back, and the sheriff will physically remove them from the property. So that's the ultimate, yeah, that's kind of the ultimate remedy. And that's why, and I, and I would say this, that in Florida, notably, is that a lot of times we'll have clients tell us that, you know, they'll get a final judgment of eviction. And so how that writ gets entered is that they'll have a final judgment of eviction. And what that final judgment says is it says, clerk, issue the writ of possession. But we'll have a lot of clients that will tell us, well, they've already left. We have a final judgment. They've left. We don't need it. It's going to cost me another $90. It's going to take another week or 10 days. I already changed the locks. You know, it's, yeah. it's, all, it's yeah. all good. Well, yeah. I've already taken back possession, I changed the locks, I've already got my painters out there. The problem with that specifically in Florida, and this is true in other jurisdictions as well, and again, the caveat is, is make sure you understand your local your local laws, um, that in Florida, you don't have lawful possession back until that writ is executed. 
even if you have a final judgment of eviction, you've got to have the writ. The possession has to be formally returned back to the owner. So having a final judgment doesn't do that. Execution of the writ does. And so our policy is that we always get the writ executed. Always do. And it, and it does. And, and you have to wait on the sheriff. And the sheriff and their civil service, you know, they have higher priorities than evictions. You know, they have domestic violence injunctions they've got to do. And they have these they have other things going on. So sometimes evictions do fall down the list as far as how, how, how quickly they get done. But it's, it's imperative that they do get done because that's what actually puts the funding possession back. Um, and I have a lot of horror stories, just like Melanie does, of clients that didn't do that. And then what would happen is the tenant would come back and then say, well, you took back possession and my, the, my Ming vase collection was in the back closet. Now they're all gone. So now I'm going to sue you. Because you took, you came back into my property, changed the locks, which is self-help, which is, is which is a big no-no in Florida, like most states. Uh, and then they would be sued over over missing items or allegedly missing items because they didn't get the writ executed. So, but but you do have a very clear enforcement mechanism. So, if the tenant goes through the eviction process, they haven't vacated. It's you just have the writ executed, and that's and that's pretty much for most states. They post, they'll come back, they they'll keep the you know the sheriff will keep the peace. They'll be removed from the property, and then you, as the owner, have the opportunity then to bring, you know, pull everything out of the property, whether it be furniture, personal effects, um, that can be placed on the property line, change the locks on the property, uh, and then the and the sheriff will escort, you know, escort the, the tenants off the property. So there's a very clear remedy for that, but I'd say it's kind of a, as a side to that, it's very important that you do that remedy, even if they don't vacate, even if they've had vacated, excuse me, because if you don't, you are asking for trouble from what we call professional tenants that know the laws and they know how to work the laws. And, and, and just one quick story in a commercial eviction I did years ago, um, it was a pawn shop owner. Um, and the, we represented the, the owner of the mall that housed this pawn shop. Well, the owner got very frustrated at the process and how long it was taking. Um, and so on a weekend, he called and said, look, I'm tired of waiting for the sheriff. I'm going to go ahead and take back possession. So he took back possession of his space. The pawn shop also was a licensed firearms dealer. When he took all the firearms out of the pawn shop and put them into storage, that was a federal crime. And so the U.S. Marshals came and picked them up on Sunday. Um, and so that was my that was my worst story ever of having a client that was picked up by federal marshals for essentially stealing firearms um, because he didn't have the writ executed on an eviction. So it's really important that you have that writ, the writ executed. So that, that brings up a really inter- interesting point. You, you mentioned property that, that's left behind. You mentioned like putting it on the property line. Let's say the, the resident just completely vacates. You know, you execute the writ, you go, no one's around, but there's still just this ton of stuff laying at your property. Like, is that the only remedy? Just put it on the property line? Or do you have any other things that, that you can do to handle all this junk now? Like, is it, is it legally yours? Is it still legally the tenants? Like, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, I used to say, yeah, and the 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 kind of abbreviated version of that is it's still it depends. Um, <laughs> if it's you get to make the call whether or not it's it's garbage. Um, we usually tell people I think it's if it looks like it's more than um, if it's something that's irreplaceable like uh, photos and things like that. You know, most property managers will kind of hold on to that, especially if there's other stuff that's of value. So. If there's anything of value, I believe it's $500, Jeff, it's over $500 worth of stuff, then um, you actually have to store it and advertise. Let them know 
that um, this is where their stuff is to give them time to get it. And then after a certain period of time, um, was it 30 days? I have yep. to look. I don't. I don't have the statute in front of me. I don't recall. But after 30 days, uh, then you actually have to. You can put it up for for auction, and then you, whatever money you make, you can put towards um, you know whatever outstanding debts that they have with you, be it back rent or you know anything along those lines. But no, it's not. It's not like what you you know people usually envision. Um, you know, going back to like the writ being uh, served, it's funny because I think people think like the second that, you know, you the judge, you know, grants the eviction that, you know, somebody's out there pulling all the stuff out of the, the unit. It's that's not how it is. Obviously, after the writ served and uh, by the sheriff and all that good stuff, then there still is an evaluation of the stuff that's in there. It's not, you know, being just dragged to the curb and, you know, everybody running out and grabbing whatever they want like they you know, like you've seen on, um, you know, you see on like TV and stuff, how they like to portray stuff like that. Okay. So it'd probably be best practice for, for property managers, particularly in, in Florida to you know, take care of those possessions. Don't just, don't just trash them right away. At Correct. least if they have a potential value or at least personal value. And, and again, it makes it hard because it's, it's a judgment call again, mm-hmm. you know, it's a judgment call. I mean, some places you walk in clearly, clearly garbage, clearly nothing salvageable. Um, but I would, again, always err on the side of caution, you know, and that's why I always like to say that even though, you know, maybe photo albums and things like that aren't necessarily going to have a lot of monetary value. If you are going to set some stuff aside that is a monetary value, just just include that as well. Okay. So do you have any uh, client success stories or other horror stories that, that you'd like to share? Any Any other anecdotes that you'd like to leave the audience with? I have you warned uh, did Jeff did you talk about um when the tenants represented at all? No, we haven't talked about that no. Okay. So, um that's another thing uh in in Florida particularly, um there are attorneys that will represent tenants. And because of the stat of the way the Florida statute is written, the you know, you can get attorney's fees if you win. If you're the prevailing partner or prevailing party, then you can get attorney's fees. So there are attorneys that will represent tenants where the tenants, you know, because the initial reaction is if tenants can't pay their rent, how are they affording attorney? Well, they don't have to, because if they win, then um, the, the the landlord or the property manager or the owner has to pay the attorney's fees. Um, so recently there's been an influx of attorneys that will represent tenants um, if they smell any blood in the water. And what I mean by that is if there is anything even remotely wrong with um, how you've handled the security deposit, um, how you handled the, how you handled the eviction. Um, you don't have to make sure you have, you know, dotted every I, crossed every T. And, and if a tenant attorney gets involved, chances are there is blood in the water and something is wrong um, because they will, they will rack up attorney's fees, you know, sky high. They will, they will rack up attorney's fees so that when they catch you on one tiny little glitch, and they are the prevailing party, even, you know, no matter how small it could be a security deposit of a few hundred dollars, um, they're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of attorney's fees. So in terms of, of war stories, um, just in general, you know, I've been muddling against um, this really big firm out of South Florida comes, you know, marching on up to, to the rest of Florida, kind of, you know, picking and choosing their cases. So we've been winning some cases and I have a multiple cases now that it's not just a matter of walking in there 
and dealing with the tenant and showing they haven't paid, we're, you're now dealing with, um, you know, opposing counsel. And they, they will they will travel. They will travel because they know if they get it, they, they will get a hefty fee. Yeah. And then the, yeah. That, that fee ultimately is it, the, the property manager or the, uh, the owner is going to be the one paying it. Correct. So making that, that eviction even more expensive. Mm -hmm. right. And one thing to, to keep in, in mind on that is that it's a, the judges are starting to catch on to that. And it's, it's kind of just tasteful practice to run up a five or 7,000 attorney fee uh, on a very small matter. Um, but one thing is kind of an aside, and, and Melanie mentioned security deposit claims, which we really haven't talked a lot about. And, and, and in Florida, this is true. And again, the caveat, make sure you understand your, you know, your, your, your jurisdiction is that with security deposit claims, that's become a big thing with these, with these plaintiff's lawyers is that they'll come in and they're on a contingency. And so you might be fighting over a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars on a security deposit claim. And the key thing to remember with that is where, where these attorneys have seen kind of the, the misconception that that's, that's kind of sparked all this for these attorneys to come in and really try and take advantage of owners and property managers is that, is that deposit claims are separate from a damage claim in Florida. Not to get too far in the weeds here, but that's, that's where, that was the catalyst for all these plaintiffs attorneys not running around trying to hook people for big fee awards. And, the, and what I mean by it's not a damage claim is that deposits are owned, the deposit monies are owned by the tenant. They belong to the tenant. And there's a structure in place to make a claim on the deposit. That, the, that claim on the deposit is, is something that's really heavily regulated by statute in Florida and I think in most jurisdictions about, you know, you make a claim if you're within a certain period of time. If there's an objection, then those monies have to be held until it's resolved. It's a very structured thing. So that's different than a general damage claim, at least in Florida, the way it works is this. If you have a deposit claim, let's say for it's a thousand dollars and the deposit's a thousand, but you miss the deadline to make that claim, you have to, by statute, return that thousand dollar deposit to the tenant. But that doesn't mean you don't have the right to sue the tenant for a thousand dollars in damages. So they're distinct things and they don't set each other off. So if, if you were to go to court, the court cannot say well tenant you owe like in that instance let's say that you have a thousand dollars on deposit and there's a thousand dollar damage claim but you missed the deadline to make the claim you can't say well i'm not going to return it because he owes me a thousand dollars anyway so i'll just bring suit on my thousand dollars and the judge will say well you owe him a thousand to just keep us keep his deposit that's not how it works the, the court will specifically make you re remit that deposit back to the tenant and it can very well enter another judgment the exact same day saying that the tenant is your thousand dollars and so that's something for property managers especially in florida to be very careful of is that don't conflate the two deposit claims are not the same as a damage claim um and that's where a lot of property managers are getting in trouble with the attorney's fees that are that are getting awarded against them for for believing that well i can just set those amounts off because you can't you have to be compliant strictly with deposit rules in florida. so what becomes the purpose of the security deposit in florida in that case or what's the correct way to use the security deposit well, it's that you have to, you, know, you have the deposit there to guard against damages, unpaid rents, those sorts of things at the conclusion of a lease. And in Florida, you have to make your claim within 30 days. 30 uh, and if you, if, you, if you don't make the claim within 30 days, no matter how much the tenant may owe you, you must return that deposit to the tenant. So, and so, they, so that's why they're there. But, but again, the difference is that those monies are owned by the tenant. Um, and, and, you know, until you, and until you have a judgment that says otherwise, there's still the property of the tenant unless there's an agreed disposition based on a deposit claim.
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've also seen that uh, very frequently that 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 money in the security deposit, it's the tenant's money. It's not not the landlord's money, mm -hmm. not, not the property manager's money, right. but it's owed to the tenant. So yeah, be very careful with with how yeah. how you handle that. So if if people uh, need to get in touch with you and want to use your services, oh, uh, what happens if you can't get contractors within 30 days? Um, Ed, what, what do you mean yeah. by contractors? Maybe they but have vendors to do the work, paint work, cleaning, those sorts of things. Yeah, not sure. Okay, so in, in Florida, you're out of luck because you have a 30 day window. And this is another maybe misconception out there is that you don't have the ability to do an amended claim in Florida. So you have a 30 day window and if you, if you can't get your painters out in time or your cleaners out in time or whatever it may be, um, you can, and you may even have an invoice, you may have you know, estimates for it. And the estimates may, you know, they're not done, they're not completed work, it's not paid work. So it becomes really tricky, but you don't have, so you have a 30 day window and if you can't meet the deadline, then you're technically required to return that deposit back to the tenant. Um, and there's no such thing as an amended deposit claim. So you don't, you don't say, well, I'll just put together what I can with the best I can do now. And then I'll do an amended one next month. That's not, it's not for that's not the way it works. So it'd be very diligent in getting your vendors out there. Um, a lot of managers will put estimates in there for that very reason. It's a risky proposition. Um, because ultimately, if the if the tenant then objects to that and hires counsel, then you can you can have some real problems again with with counsel trying to to, to hitch with attorney's fees. But but yeah, you just have to be really you have to be really diligent in trying to meet that thirty day window. Okay. Well, thank you both for your time. We're coming up at the end of our window. Um, so if anyone wants to get in touch if, with you for your services or any other questions, like what what are the best ways to get in touch? No. Well, I was going to say, uh, you can give us a call, 904-374-9430. Uh, um, our website is www.eviction247.com. Um, email is fine, which is uh, first initial, last name at eviction247.com. Um, have I covered everything, Jeff? <laughs> so, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for your time. And uh, that's the end of our show. If you have any questions, please do do reach out, eviction247.com or latchell.com. Have a great day. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchell.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchell.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks, everyone. See you back next week.